This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Kyla, thank you for coming in today. I know that he's recording already because okay. he's sneaky like that. Yeah. Um, sneaky bugger. I know. I appreciate it. I need I need his help today because today I've been fighting the depression all week. It's just been a rough week. So, yeah. How are you doing today? How am I doing today? Well, I spent the morning doing a lot of journaling mm-hmm. and then working through a lot of stuff. I've been really kind of focused on doing... Um, since you asked, I'm going to tell you. Exactly. Yeah, please do. I've been working on, like, actually kind of working through some grief stuff. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, since you asked, I'm like, oh, I'm a little tender at the moment. Mm-hmm. I've been working through some of that grief stuff, and it's still, like, kind of close to the surface. But yeah, um, I actually feel, like, a lot of release of tension in my body when I've been doing that. So part of me feels mm-hmm. really relaxed. Yeah, good. And the other part of me is still sort of, like, you know, I just gave some attention to those parts, so yeah. they're a little bit like close yeah. to the surface and like just a little bit tender still. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's how I'm doing. Right on. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's good though. I mean, it, pro- it probably doesn't seem, and it might not seem good to other people, but the reality is like going, reconnecting with our grief is is so important, right? And to make sure we don't avoid it as best we can, right? Um, yeah. And of course, every time we do inner work, you're bringing up everything right like opening the doors and i i think i think that's been contributing to my state of mind the last few weeks here because i i just did a step five with a colleague and then she did it with me mm-hmm. as well um a colleague and a friend i guess more a friend than anything else but um and so it's a lots of stuff on the surface yeah it's yeah. been it's been hectic yeah I, I can i kind of feel like maybe yeah we're in the same spot today a little bit so that's kind of neat yeah um, I didn't expect that, so. Okay, yeah, and I, I can relate to that as well because um, I just finished doing um, a s- sort of step four and five together yeah. with uh, a sponsor, and then he encouraged me to go now and to look through step six and seven, mm-hmm. and so I was looking through some of the step six and it was interesting. I read, I have a, a little daily book from, mm-hmm. from a 12-step program that I do um, or have been involved in. And it was 
step, step six today, oh, which cool. I was like, oh, well, that's timely. It suggested that as I'm looking through these things that I might make a list of my defenses. Mm-hmm. And, and I had sort of gone through and, and made a list of some of those defenses. And uh, it was interesting to see like how, like, how identified or like entwined yeah. or like kind of, you know, I'd become with those defenses. And mm-hmm. so then also like seeing that and then asking to have some perspective and separation from yeah. those defenses. I think I feel a sense of loss there too. Mm. Like those defenses that I'd been employing, you know, as, as ineffective as they are in my life at the moment, they just, I depended on them for so mm-hmm. long. Well, they become a skill set, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so kind of seeing that and seeing like a lot of the defenses that I used to, to keep people at a distance mm-hmm. to avoid feeling the grief. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult. So, I, I mean, it's, it's illuminating and I, I like that, mm-hmm. but it's also just sort of like, oh, and then there's some grief at having employees. Like just used those defenses for such a long time and yeah. then seeing that there's a bit of grief there too mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. almost like and sometimes for me i'm not speaking for you but sometimes for me it's like there's a little bits of grief mixed with embarrassment right like of remembering stuff you know and remembering things and which is okay because embarrassment i've yet to die from it so <laughs> it's not the end of the world <laughs> yeah. it's more like that feeling of that comes up right when we remember maybe <clears throat> some of our less than ideal behaviors right and defenses as you say mm-hmm. you know um yeah so to, I, I just have so many questions and i just want to let you run okay yeah cool. <laughs> so so what brought you to yeah that's probably a good question to ask what brought you to a 12-step fellowship like tell us about yourself okay. i mean besides your beautiful music that we are we've played for everyone already yeah um, yeah Thank tell you. us about you so i started so before but i started a 12-step program because um i grew up uh in uh, a home with you know, my, my mom and dad and sister and my dad was a drinker and i didn't actually realize that um I didn't actually realize that that his drinking was a, a problem in mm-hmm. our family or that that there were a lot of ways that I'd grown up like around uh, like something that you know just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually realize that that there could be sort of a problem that in my family um, and that we kind of hid that and mm-hmm. that sort of thing until I was prob- I, th- I remember the minute I was walking home from school. And I was standing in the parking lot of the townhouse complex where I lived. And it was like, all of a sudden, this like realization was like, oh, my God, my dad's an alcoholic. And I was like, uh, probably 13 or 14. And I read that actually that can be pretty common for for girls um, uh, who, who have... Uh, alcoholic fathers. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it dawns on them sometime in their teenage years. Yeah, which I thought was really kind of odd, but comforting. I yeah. sort of, you know, I've done a lot of reading, skimming here and there, so I, mm-hmm. I read that and I was like, well, that, that's certainly my experience. Yeah, 
And then from there, you know, I left home at 16 mm-hmm. because um, life was really painful and difficult and my family was struggling, yeah. you know, with, with uh, all sorts of things. So I left home when I was 16 and then I thought, oh, cool, well, that's it, I've escaped. Like, now, mm-hmm. now, I'm, now I'm an adult. <laughs> I've left <laughs> home. And so I just went about my life and got a job and all of that stuff. And I, I yeah. That, that part's, you know, whatever, I left home. So then, though, um, m- my dad's drinking started to get really mm-hmm. quite quite bad. and um, He, he kind of wasn't doing anything else, and mm-hmm. he, he, was, he was retired. Uh, and just living in his apartment um, and and getting worse and worse. So mm-hmm. I would go and visit him and I tried to call for different organizations to come in and help him because his yeah. health was deteriorating and no one really could. They couldn't help. Um, his apartment was in a, in a state that some organizations weren't able to come. And because he was drinking, other organizations couldn't come. send people. Yeah. So it was just sort of me and my sister was out of the country. So I went to... Uh, I went to maybe ADAG or one of those um, places that were helping people with addictions. Mm-hmm. And I sat in and they had a small group. And at the end of the group, I raised my hand and said, you know, I'm not here for me. I'm here for my dad. And here's the situation. And they were like, oh, sweetheart, you need to try and maybe here, here's, you can go to Al-Anon because mm-hmm. we can't help. We, your dad needs to be the one who who yeah. comes but at that point I was kind of at the end of my rope like he was really sick and no one could help and he yeah. couldn't really look after himself and um, in the meantime you know I met my uh, now husband and I was pregnant with my first child as well and so I just had this really painful, my life was actually a mess because mm-hmm. I was stressed all the time. And before I got pregnant, I had been doing all sorts of drugs mm-hmm. and drugs at work to try and get through. Sometimes I'd take a few extra like muscle relaxants because mm-hmm. I'd be in so much pain in my neck and shoulders. I thought it was because I was always pinching the telephone between my ear and oh, my yeah. shoulder. Um, that's part of it. So I was using substances to try and cope with my life and it wasn't helping. And then I got pregnant and so I stopped using any kind of substances. And so then, I mean, that probably magnified all of the emotions that I was dealing with. And then the realization that I was going to bring this new little human into the world. And so I was like, well, I'll I'll go to Al-Anon. I'd never heard of it. So I went into this Al-Anon meeting and I sat at the table and I don't remember anything that happened. Mm-hmm. I just sat there and I felt completely just numb and overwhelmed. And then uh, at the end, I remember sharing and just being just completely overwhelmed just mm-hmm. really crying at me completely overwhelmed and then someone who like was very calm and found their presence very comforting said well 
it's very brave of you to come here mm-hmm. and this program's for you. Mm-hmm. And I just, it makes me emotional now. I still remember those words. They're yeah. like, whether, whether your dad stops drinking or not, this mm-hmm. program's here for you. Mm-hmm. And keep coming back. Oh, good. And that's what I did. Yeah. Right <laughs> so, on. <laughs> yeah, so that was probably... Um, my son is 12 now, so that was about 13 or so years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And wow. that was that was very helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it no gave doubt. me language and people who knew what mm-hmm. I was going through and had this, like, level of peace and serenity that, like, at that time, I was just, like, could not imagine how mm-hmm. people could be... Um, like calm or have any because my life was so wild and my nervous system my emotions my thoughts were just Mm. totally wild so cool yeah and so you've been and you've been going to it for 12 or 13 years yeah 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 i have i've been been going to al-anon i've been to a number of different Mm -hmm. groups i've been to um codependence anonymous and adult children of oh that's a good one too very good yeah and then there's a program uh under earners anonymous that someone suggested that i under which try under earners under earners yeah it's it's called under earners or under beers under being it's basically um people who who hide and who don't they don't follow up say on their um, like on paying work, they mm. don't follow up on sending out uh, like CDs of music, or they don't learn their lines when they're an actor, or mm. they show up unprepared or underprepared, and sort of perpetuate this sort of oh, okay. what they call sort of hiding and biting. Mm. And um, so, one of my girlfriends suggested from another program that I try this, and I did, and the most interesting part of that is that I had never worked through the steps with a sponsor Mm -hmm. I'd worked through them with groups and I found that helpful but in this program I just happened to find a person who is now sponsoring me through the steps right and so we're sort of more loosely following the the UA or under earners program Mm -hmm. but actually going through the steps with a sponsor has been yeah Yes. It's life-changing, eh? A total, far, far different experience than when I'd gone through the steps with groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can get more, you can do it more intimately by yourself. I yeah. mean, as opposed to, I mean, groups have, a, they fill a purpose for sure. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like getting into it with one other person like, who can teach you and show you, that, that's where a lot of really good stuff happens. Yeah. You know, it's because you have that one-on-one connection with somebody who understands what you're trying to do, you know. As, mm-hmm. And um, I do lots of groups, and we've always had the steps be a part of them. But it's really, the the actual work is always one-on-one, right? Like with the steps. Because there's so many questions, and there's so much that comes up. And like how how do you prepare people for... The fact that even when you're not thinking about it, your brain is going to act like you're thinking about it, you know, once you open the, the box, hmm. you know, and that's kind of what step four does, right? It <clears throat> It's a, a key to a lock you didn't even know you had mm-hmm. um, because we didn't know we locked stuff up, 
right? We just assumed we got over it. And the reality is most of us haven't. Like, yeah. I mean, how can you get over some of that stuff, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know um, what you witnessed with your dad. I mean, but I can imagine, you know, that it probably wasn't pleasant, you know, because, uh, and I don't mean just his attitude, right? Because when we get to the words, the end, we're basically gone, right? Like we're not there. The alcohol is basically just moving us, you know, through the motions until we get more alcohol, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and watching a loved one go through that is like traumatic, right? Like there's no question, you know, how, how do you find, um, that being a part of a 12 step group or even just working through that, um, those steps, how do you find that helps with kind of reframing or just framing your, your childhood or like your dad's part in it? Does that make any, any sense? Yes. Um, yeah. So it's been helpful for me because when I was, when I was growing up, I, I now start to, to realize that, um, I wasn't able to be angry with my parents. Mm. Um, I just decided that somehow I wasn't sufficient to Mm. like receive the love and the attention Mm. that I really wanted from them. Mm -hmm. And so I took that onto myself and then because that longing was so great to be connected with others, Mm -hmm. I I didn't want to be in touch with that longing because it was so painful. So, for me, like using all of these resentments and and things, tried to shield me from the from the deep longing that I I really wanted to be connected to and seen and validated mm. by by the people around me. And when I was looking into the the mirror of what my parents were reflecting back to me, what I could see was something that felt very painful mm-hmm. and so um i didn't really i didn't really allow myself also to feel any like anger or so it's allowed me to actually now now i let myself look at them as and i say them because it's really like part of like the our whole family and how mm-hmm. we each played roles and things but i was i was really looking to them to be able to like, you know, see all the different parts of me. Mm-hmm. And I just felt that because there was so much denial and because the, because my, my dad couldn't be present with me because that alcohol just dulls all of the yeah. senses. So he was, you know, not present for, for himself and all the stuff that mm-hmm. was happening for him. And then he couldn't be present for me. And I was in a lot of pain over that. So I think coming to the steps for me first helped me to realize that this wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm. And um, then also started to take away some of the shame so that then I could look at my reactions and my behaviors. Yeah. Because other, before that, looking at the reactions and behaviors that I was making mm-hmm. 
would then make me have to feel the shame of not being good enough to receive the love that I wanted. And I couldn't do it Mm because it was too much. So being able to find that there was higher power, having some faith that there was like there was love for me mm-hmm. then then I was able to sort of move move into that a little bit more yeah and I thought okay um I I, I can rely on on like the mm-hmm. love of the people around me that I found I can rely on on faith that there's mm-hmm. that I'm I'm more than than my reactions yeah. and my behaviors maybe I can take a look at these things and mm-hmm. sort of see which of them are working and which aren't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what a what a magical process, hey? Yeah. To be able to do it, to be able to go through that and, and kind of find the love that you were missing, you mm-hmm. know? And I, yeah, it's just such a hard, it's like childhood's hard, right? Yeah. Like it's hard even for when you're in a perfect spot, childhood's hard. And for most yeah. of us, perfect spots weren't a part of our life right like it it just kind of so do you do you find that uh, even today like from being from the childhood you had and into today do you do you are you regularly dealing with some of the um i'll call them isms of of that they're not alcoholisms but the isms of being an adult child of an alcoholic for example right because each because we carry isms with us even mm-hmm. coming from there right like do you find that you have to that you're spending lots of time dealing with that or do you have a pretty good system for getting through your hard stuff you know um i would say that's a really good question oh good <laughs> yeah that's really good i like that question um yes well i've just started to sort of discover what might be helpful for me to deal with Mm. the things that come up on an ongoing basis so i'm finding now um that that meditating is very Mm. helpful and um i have a a podcast that i started listening to about a little over a year ago Mm -hmm. and i I, I would you, drive in the car. Yeah, you can talk about the podcast if you want. Okay, yeah, this podcast for sure. is um, by Tara Brock. Okay, and she is uh, she has a PhD. She is a Buddhist teacher, hmm. um, but she takes uh, she takes the the sort of wisdom traditions. Mm-hmm. So she takes um, inspiration from from Buddhism, from Christianity. I'm not sure whether she uses some of the other traditions. She may. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Judaism. I don't know if she uses any of the other my, more Eastern religions, whether she mm-hmm. she looks at is- Islam, but she might. She, she uses basically anything that might be um, helpful from what she terms the wisdom traditions. Mm-hmm. And then she marries that with uh, her training in um, psychology, because so she has a, a PhD in psychology, and it's very good. For oh, right on. Yeah. So she has a a process that she calls uh, the acronym is RAIN, mm-hmm. 
And so what would happen is, yeah, I'd be driving in my car listening to this podcast. And so she would be like, okay, so I just want you to find a position that's comfortable for you. And I'd be in the car and I'd be like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I said that I did meditation very badly. And mm-hmm. she'd be like, okay, so close your eyes. And I'd close one eye. <laughs> Thank you for not closing both. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I close one eye, and uh, she she would say, "Okay, so I just want you to do a body scan now, um, and can you can you feel the sensations in your feet?" Hmm. And I just kind of be like, "Wow, I can see what she's getting at, mm-hmm. but I couldn't." feel really anything yeah and i had um my pastor i go to a great church um i got a great church here in calgary called friends church my pastor also was kind of talking about body sensations too and where mm-hmm. do you feel that in your body he would ask me sometimes if i was talking with him and i was just so confused by that yeah i was like i don't I don't know what you're talking. I don't feel anything in my body. So just a little over a year ago, I started doing these body scans, and then I did start to feel sort of some tingling, and I did start to sort of recognize where some of these feelings might be in my body. And then the acronym Rain is just sort of when I'm going through this body scan, if there's anything that's coming up for me. Mm-hmm. The R is recognize, and the A is to accept or allow. Mm -hmm. What am I feeling right now? Okay, I'm feeling a really deep sense of sadness or loss, Mm -hmm. and just to accept that. And then to inquire, oh, what is this like for me? Or I found one of the best phrases for me when I'm dealing with these things. How do you want me to be with you? Mm And just waiting in a little bit of stillness and listening. And often when I'm asking that question, the answer is, I'd just like you to sit with me or I'd just like you to see me or be with me. Mm -hmm. And then the N is for nurture. So there's some science that says if if I put my hand over my heart, that just the warmth of Mm -hmm. my hand over my heart, even for a minute, I guess there are, are... um, I don't know, like uh, neural sorts of pathways, or like they're like I don't know n- neurons or mm. something. <laughs> you have to excuse me; I'm not very like <laughs> okay. well versed in the in the language. But basically, it, 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 there's a calming. Mm. The brain recognizes that as being very calming. So mm. I find that that's really helpful. And then she says, if you can call on like a source of comfort. So if that, in some cases, is a friend or a parent or a pet, higher power, religious mm-hmm. um, person of, of like someone's faith, um, just then that, then to speak, ask them to speak words of encouragement mm-hmm. and peace and compassion. And so then I do that and I often say, oh, Thank you so much for telling me. I'm so sorry that this is how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I love you. Or 
it's going to be all right. Let this pass. Have mm-hmm. some courage to like, you know, mm-hmm. know that this will pass. And then so I, I often am doing that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes doing breathing exercises. Yeah. I'm journaling. And I try and make time to do this more regularly. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the sort of impacts of growing up in the house that I did. I have been very sort of scattered. It's difficult mm. for me to keep a routine. So slowly I start making small routines. Mm. I make my bed. I journal. If I don't do it, I say, that's okay mm. tomorrow. That mm-hmm. keep coming back is the most gentle reminder for me. It's okay. Yeah. Keep coming back. Yeah. Keep coming back. And it's cool because it does mean that, right? Like it really does. It means just keep trying. Just keep trying. No matter what happens, just keep trying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not, it's not over until it's over. And I think we get, like I get stuck, and I know lots of people get stuck in the, oh, this is what's happening now. This is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's going to feel. And, you know, because that self-pity comes up, can come up pretty quick for, for us humans. You mm-hmm. know, when we get stuck in it. We, we can go from grieving into self-pity pretty quick. <laughs> you know, I can anyway, mm-hmm. I should say. Um and trying to to breathe through that, right? Like the breathing, I think for my money, part of the meditation that I like, that I appreciate the most, I guess, is the breathing component. It's like the simplest, to fall back upon the simplest process, right? Which is breathing. Because mm-hmm. when we can breathe properly, we feel properly, right? As opposed to when I get crazy and I start breathing like shallow and thin and of course i'm not thinking properly because i'm breathing improperly right yeah and and that that breath i i love that about most guided meditations i've heard thus far it's whenever you feel lost go back to your breath right the idea is breath is our life because it is our life i mean we take it for granted because we don't have to think about it right Mm -hmm. or i think i take it for granted i shouldn't say we do but darcy does too but i won't speak for darcy um (laughs) I definitely take it for granted sometimes, and I or had, and now I, I think I catch myself reminding people to breathe way more often than I ever have, especially when I'm in a like a I'm counseling them or something. It's mm-hmm. like we need to breathe for a minute because now words are not making sense, and the anger comes out, and and of course once we get there, it's valid anger most of it, right? But it's yeah. like how do you process this valid anger? You know, it, mm-hmm. we don't need to be less angry. We just need to understand where, why we're angry. You know, half the time, like, I don't even know why I'm angry half the time. I could, <laughs> yeah. Right? We could point fingers at stuff, but that's not necessarily true. You know, there, like, I don't know about yourself, but for me, from childhood, I'll get stuff that comes up and, like, I didn't bring it on. It's just there. And we have to figure out a way to get through that, right? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of like, being re-traumatized over and over again. But Mm -hmm. I mean, re-traumatized by our own brain, right? Yes. And I've experienced as I get older, it gets a little bit more complicated. Like, because when I was younger, I didn't think it was going to be that complicated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I really thought it was going to be straightforward, right? Like we do, we go through the process, we do the steps, we talk to somebody, we do all that stuff, and then it's going to get better, right? And it does get better, Mm -hmm. but then it gets harder. <laughs> yeah. Because it's getting better, it gets harder, right? Because we're actually engaged in that discipline, 
you know um i don't know like it just seems it seems pretty like you have a pretty cool like system going for you and because you, you have children you have two children right yeah. boys two boys yes oh, yeah, good. Remember. yeah i, do. I remember yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was only a week ago so i should remember <laughs> or was it two weeks two, ago I can't, three, yeah, two maybe. Weeks. yeah two yeah that's right. So, okay, I have pretty good that's memory. Good. Now. That's really right good. That's really good. That's better than I've done in a while. Yeah. <laughs> and so, how is it? So, you're married. You have two two boys. Like, how how does that interact? How do you interact with your family based on some of that stuff? Because I mean, having your own family coming from a family, like oftentimes people just repeat what was happening then, and yeah. obviously that's probably not your mo. I'm guessing. Well, so. What's happening is, and I'm now I'm able to observe this a little bit more. So, mm-hmm. so I am married, but my husband and I have been separated for a year. Oh, okay. So it's really interesting because even just this morning, um, I started to look at the ways that my defenses mm-hmm. have impacted my marriage relationship, and um, it's. It's really fascinating, and um, so there's like a certain level of acceptance that I'm going through because mm-hmm. I can see these things more clearly now. Yeah. Before they were just me, mm-hmm. right? Before I was just like, well, um, I just I blame because obviously if I'm like, you know, obviously I'm pissed off because you know you didn't do the dishes. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, 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 hang on, back it up. Like it's way, and and you know, it's like. Um, it's difficult because they're just so in that way then there are so many voices Mm. and so many ways that I can be distracted from what is at the heart Mm. of the issues that I'm bringing into my relationship Mm. and how I'm how I might be creating distance or separation mm-hmm. within my relationship. And then not even then even more than just creating distance in my relationships, the fact that I'm creating distance in my relationship is comfortable because mm-hmm. of the distance that I felt in my relationships with my mm-hmm. my parents. So now I'm I'm creating a familiar scenario. And then it was really interesting too to notice how what percentage of my life or time I'm perpetuating the feeling of upset. Mm. And then I sort of started seeing things um, more in like more in sort of blocks of. I don't know. I mean, I guess some people would say kind of going in and out of like what would be like a conscious awareness. Mm. And I started to sort of see that idea of, um, I guess, identifying with the defenses rather than Mm. being able to observe them. Yeah. And so with my husband, I noticed that um, there are certain times when I'm triggered into the defensive places and then I act in ways that are shocking and embarrassing Mm -hmm. and I'm not really uh, in control when I'm doing that yeah Um, so that's just 
really sort of kind of new information mm. for me. <laughs> and so um, there have been actually many times when I've been going through these same. Yeah. So in some ways, my children have had a very different upbringing that I have. Mm -hmm. But then if I were just to look specifically at like, oh, yeah. well, um, I'm I'm not drinking, but I used to smoke a lot of marijuana mm -hmm. when because I thought, oh well, that's okay. I'm just cool, mom. That's mm -hmm. no problem. All my friends are doing it. And then as I like kind of progressed through looking at how it's not even necessarily the behaviors. It's not the mm -hmm. smoking pot. It's not the looking good was really important in my family. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, what's actually my internal environment like? Mm -hmm. What's my thought like? Life life yeah. like um, I didn't really realize I thought because that was hidden mm -hmm. and it was hidden to me that if I were to say like you say go through the motions yeah that that would be enough mm -hmm. and now I'm really realizing more and more that that that's yeah that that's not really where it's at <laughs> yeah it's not it's not quite enough right it seems like it might be yeah. but well, I think it's in, but it's encouraging, right? Like the, even even though, and and I'm sorry that you're separated because it must be hard. Like yeah. it must be hard, no matter no matter what the circumstances are, right? It's not an easy process to go through. Um, but it sometimes those things, and this is why I call them skill sets. Sometimes, well, I call it that all the time when I'm listening to a fifth step. I'll tell the person, I'll be like, "This is just your skill set." Because I will give them a list of six step six when they leave after after I hear their fifth step, and I, I try to assure them I'm like the only way you can continue to function the way you've continued to function is by using these things like yeah. their skills right yes. they're hundred percent it it was skillful to keep you from well <clears throat> if I really just go to the end of the thought it's keep you from death right and get right. you through each day yeah. right those things. And it's not all of a sudden going to be all wrong, because some of it's going to still help you, even even if. And this is where the where it gets tricky, though. I think as we get older, right, is because even though those skills still some of them help you, right, it still keeps us from getting to the end quicker, right, because we use those skills to kind of buffer it, right. And if I can just use one of my one of my many skill sets, dishonesty that I came in with, right. If I sometimes it was imperative to be dishonest, like mm -hmm. um, imperative, mm -hmm. I would have would have, in my case, I would have lost a lot, mm -hmm. right? In terms of um, reality, and would that have been necessary? Probably not. Just like yourself, it, it, it's like uh, finding out that maybe we're just not compatible with that person in the long run, right? Like to me, that is a gift to find that out for yeah. people, whether it be. Um, in marriages or families, whatever the case may be, is to figure out, am I being my best self here? Can I be my best self here? Or am I going to be stuck living out of defects, right, in this position? And if, if that's the answer, then I have to leave, right? Yeah. It's, and that, I know it gets complicated when we're talking about marriages, of course, and relationships, because as humans, those are where our, that's where our bread is buttered right yeah. is our relationships with each other it's kind of like without relationships we have no problems <laughs> yeah right yes that's right yeah because yeah. we have to try to open up for the other person you know whoever that person is uh, and 
romantically, um, God, I can't even imagine. Well, I guess I could imagine it, but I can't really see how um, relationships would be so detrimentally affected by um, childhood experiences, right, for example. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, like, I can see how, from my childhood, how it's have impacted my relationships along the way because I always thought, based on being abused as a child, I always thought, well, this is what children, this is what I'm for, right? Mm -hmm. I, I am mm -hmm. for, so by the time I became a teenager, my perspective was, well, I'm only good if I'm having sex with people. That's the only time I get any sort of like feedback from outsiders of my family, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then you take all that and you come back into the church, which is where I was raised, and you realize, oh, well, now I'm going to hell too. Oh, so this is good, right? And, and then gradually, by the time I was having mutual relationships with people my own age, as opposed to people who are 10, 20 years older, um, like I was messed up. There's no fucking way I was going to be part of my language, but there's, but there's no way that we could not be messed up. Right. Mm -hmm. Like when you go into a relationship, always afraid they're going to leave. Right. Yes. Or always afraid they're going to be, this is me for sure. I, I always afraid they're going to just turn into something else. And then of course time would go by and they would turn into something else. Right. When they realized the real me was damaged, like, I could tell you I'm damaged and people are like, oh yeah, it's probably not that bad. No, you don't understand. Like if we're just having a conversation, I'm fine. But when we start to become close, that's when things get really hairy for me, right? Mm -hmm. Is with that, that intimacy. And do you find that similar for you? Like coming from that place of, of needing the love and never getting it, right? Like as you were talking about that, I'm like, oh my God. It's like my parents could have been more loving. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel a damn bit of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what, um, and I'm just kind of reaching here for my journal cause I have some yeah, stuff in here that's like a little bit more specific and, and just that I was writing about this morning it with regard to relationships and mm -hmm. some of those patterns, but that's what it is. It was that, um, I, I also, I was just like, you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't feel mm -hmm. that I didn't feel it and I there's probably still more to like kind of come around that mm -hmm. and then I did have a, a little bit of an experience um, again it's always when I'm driving I always mm -hmm. put these things yeah. in when I'm driving but it's nice to be in the car and then so anyway I had this experience. you probably get peace in there by yourself though yeah. <laughs> yeah. well I think that part of and I realized this to part of growing up in my house and then also part of like really like loving music and mm -hmm. finding that that was like a refuge yeah. for me i i had like this um like view of my or like this little flashback of myself i grew up really close to to this um church here uh, just in crescent like just up from crescent heights in oh Island yeah Park. cool and the house that i grew up in it's it's demolished now it's mm -hmm. a little 50s bungalow yeah. And I would put the headphones on and listen to classical music. Mm -hmm. And I had this impression, and I think it's the same as being in the car. I put the headphones on. And because the way that I grew up, I felt like in my family, I didn't ever really get a, a sense of like my own self. There was mm -hmm. no real boundaries there. Yeah. And I'm kind of only sort of working out how that is kind of now. It, 
I always felt like someone was going to burst in on me. Mm-hmm. Even now, sometimes I feel like, like I'll be afraid that someone's going to like intrude or mm-hmm. burst in on me. It's this impression that I have. But when I put the headphones on, it was like, <sighs> this is this is my space. Yeah. Just, and I would feel like there'd be salt. So probably, I think you're right. There's something about being in the car. It's mm-hmm. like doors are closed. Driving down the highway in the middle of like nowhere. Yeah. And I can just have that time. And I did have this um, feeling when I was doing one of these guided meditations. I did have this impression that I was actually able to feel some of my my mom's love. Mm-hmm. I could kind of see her just slightly differently. And I was like, oh, I can kind mm-hmm. of feel some of her love that I just hadn't been able to sort of like experience yeah. before. And I thought that that was really... Um, like kind of fascinating it's amazing yeah and i haven't really had that since i've been meaning to revisit that meditation to see if mm-hmm. you know if that's there's something there that i can just sort of start to i think receiving for me is very difficult receiving yeah. love um yeah i don't know because i think i have to i think it's like well if i receive love then somehow i also have to like condone the actions that mm. that made it also so painful yeah so i'm kind of i'm getting there but mm-hmm. i i i'm like okay and maybe that goes towards like a boundary thing mm-hmm. it's like how can i receive the the love yeah and still like just just stand up for myself just mm-hmm. to, to make a, a safe like way that I I don't have to also accept the abuse that came along with that. Yeah, you can accept the love without the abuse, right? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. I might be sort of starting to be able wow. to understand a little bit of what that is like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and I think this is kind of part of it is it, it being able to sort of accept my own limitations mm-hmm. and things. Um, so there's. I listen to a lot of different people. I'm, I'm really grateful for all the people I found on the mm-hmm. internet and things. There's a guy who's called Alan Robarge, mm-hmm. and he's a, also a, a therapist, and he has a lot of YouTube videos. And I actually was writing this out because when it suggested that I write out some of my uh, like ways of, of coping or that type of thing it it was interesting because i i started writing out these things it's called uh, accepting not accepting that the relationship is over that's what he has and then he speaks in the first person and it was so amazing to me that i actually sat and like the first time i listened to it again and wrote out some of these things uh so i'll just is it okay if i of course please yeah it says Uh, Today I accept the limitations I have with acceptance. I'm going to accept just how resistant I am to letting this old story go. (laughs) This old relationship go. Letting you go. Letting us go. I'm accepting my moodiness, my irritability, and my short-sightedness. I accept just how unwilling I am to see things differently. To shift my perspective. Or even inquire into the possibility for change. The impossibleness of my immobility and the disappointment of having no more options. I accept that I'm not ready to accept that I'm at the end of my rope. 
I'm not moving. I'm not softening. I'm not letting my guard down, and I accept that. Mm. I'm not entertaining other sides of the story. I'm not going to see you in a different light or let in any of your basic goodness as a human being or any of our good times together today. It's all about blame, and Mm. I accept that. Mm. I'm just outright irritated and fed up with it. I'm fed up with you, and this I can accept. I make it all about you, and you can carry the burden of failure for our shared relationship. Mm. I also accept all the judgments and conclusions I find looping in my head. I accept the broken record quality of my thoughts looping and looping and looping. Mm. I accept how exhausting it is to only focus on this one area of my life and to neglect other areas, people, and relationships. I also accept the incessant chatter of blame and how it provokes righteous contempt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You better believe I'm the better person. (laughs) I accept that I build myself up by tearing you down. Sometimes I feel nasty. Sometimes I am nasty in my thinking, and I accept this. There is acceptance that I will continue to poke at the history of our relationship and poke at the situation and poke at the details and revisit conversations in my head. Mm -hmm. Imagine conversations that never happen to the point that the details and conversations will become so full of holes I will not be able to make sense of it anymore. I accept that I'm rewriting history to make myself feel better because I cannot face this grief. I'm creating a story so full of extremes at your expense because I need to talk myself out of still wanting you and still wanting to be with you and wanting this relationship. I accept that I'm choosing to confuse myself in this way. And I thought, wow, that is so so clearly what my thinking is like. And I haven't accepted that my thinking is very much this way. Mm-hmm. And it loops and loops and loops. So I thought that those types of things that I use to resist mm-hmm. intimacy and the confusion, mm-hmm. that's a huge thing that I found in, in through recovery is what is this confusion? Yeah. Well, the confusion over the old conflicting with the new, right? Like that. Like sometimes that loop can happen for me pretty quickly too, where the loop of thinking is, how do I change this present situation to match what I used to think? Like, <laughs> right? Like it, it's yeah. more, it's more for me, that's the loop. And because it, because like you said, as soon as you start to <clears throat> separate a little bit from the pain and you can see it like by writing it and doing that stuff, the loop becomes a little bit more, um, almost transparent right to where it's dissolving because mm-hmm. the loop will dissolve i i've experienced this with myself and with other people the loop tends to dissolve as soon as we stop resisting right like and yeah. and but the resistance is coming from the subconscious right so it's kind of like we're doing all this work to try to get the subconscious to fall in line right we're doing the work going through the process of a fourth and a fifth step so that we can convince our subconscious that what we've done is not correct. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that that was really, yes, that that was fascinating. And that these things, as I was reading them and as he was saying them, there's this part of me that's like, oh, you can't say that. Mm-hmm. You can't. That's not. And it is sort of this acceptance of like, well, I, I, I do accept that there are parts of me that mm-hmm. um, are, are very angry, are, are anti-relationship, are, mm-hmm. you know, are nasty and, <laughs> and blaming. And mm-hmm. I accept that this is where I'm at and my limitations. And I'm not saying that those things are... I'm, I'm just saying those things without an immediate judgment. I mm-hmm. just lay them all out. And then when I can sort of mm-hmm. see them a bit more clearly, then, then perhaps some choice opens up where before when they were kind of hiding in the yeah. self-conscious, in the subconscious, I don't really particularly have choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that confusion is the place where I've sort of chosen to reside, whether yeah. I am accepting that that's a choice that I'm making or not. Mm-hmm. I Maybe I didn't know it was a choice that I had. Now, that was one of the, if there's like one, three words that like, they kind of sum up like a lot of what I've kind of learned through this like recovery process is, mm-hmm. I didn't know. Yeah. Wow, I just... I didn't know. And now I do. And I'm like, oh my gosh, well, now I know. That's amazing. But like, oh my gosh, I just, there was a lot of stuff that was just going around in my subconscious and I just was not aware of it at all. Well, and you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah. I told somebody that in a meeting once and they just about, her head exploded just about. I said, well, how could you possibly know what you don't know? It's impossible, right? Like, and, but of course we, we like to, I like to do it too, is like, make myself think I should have been better off and I should have been smarter then and you know I should have known all this we should have known all this stuff but how how possibly could we have known you know I didn't know until like literally this last year that the subconscious only thinks in black and white Mm -hmm. I didn't know that nobody did really I mean I had to listen to a neurologist give a lecture on it to be like oh well that makes sense there's no wonder my 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 old ancient brain is all about yes or no and there's mm-hmm. no gray areas there right mm-hmm. i didn't realize that that's how the subconscious works it only can think in black and white like rigid right mm-hmm. and like i mean that was liberating <laughs> right yeah. to think that oh that's my brain's doing that like that's <laughs> not the way it is that's just what my brain is doing with it right mm-hmm. and that's what i mean by reframing right and, yeah. be, and being able to um, as we talk about it in recovery, like the layers of the onion get peeled back. But what people don't understand is the, the layers of the onion as they get peeled back, they don't get thrown out. They simply go back on top of each other and we have to become comfortable with having these layers, right? Because sometimes yeah. sometimes people look at the peeling back of the onion like it's going to be gone, but it's not going anywhere. Like there's nowhere for it to go. <laughs> because we're literally peeling back the onion in our head where are those layers of the onion going they're in our head still right Mm -hmm. and i mean i just had this conversation and it's kind of like a i'm pretty sure i hurt my own brain when i had this conversation with someone the other day because trying to be like well no the layers don't go anywhere because not as though we're putting them in a wastebasket 
like the layers are here. They're still who we are. Mm -hmm. We've just started to understand them, mm -hmm. right? We've started to understand, like you said, there's a part of me that's really cruel, right? Mm -hmm. And yes. I can relate to that. Like yeah. there's a part of me that's so cruel, it scares me when it pops in my head. Like that's how cruel it is. And, mm -hmm. and when it comes into my head, I, I quiver a little bit. Because I'm like, where the fuck is that coming from? <laughs> right? Yes. Like, yeah. I literally yeah. peeled that fucking layer off a long time ago. Why is it still there? Well, it's because the layer doesn't go anywhere. It's just I become aware now that I have, I have a, um, I am very possible to go from zero to 150 instantly when it comes to cruelty. It's and it makes me think like, it does slow me down from judging others. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. Like, like, like what I said at this with this person in this conversation, I said, look, I said, the one thing about this really is it doesn't allow me to judge other people. Mm -hmm. I, I can't because I see me in those people like and as time goes on, I see myself more and more in all people. Right. Like as disgusting as it sounds, even in the Trumps of the world. Right. Like oh, yeah. seeing ourselves in these in these these people who are larger than life but being like yeah you know what he's human though mm -hmm. like i i've acted poorly when people have called me on stuff in the past i mean can i remember no not really but that's because i work diligently not to do it like it's not because it's not there mm -hmm. it's because i am basically working at other stuff while this is still existing right because it's not gone anywhere mm -hmm. i'm just working on the rest of me and trying to get okay with that part that's there and saying, okay, obviously ignoring you isn't helping me, <laughs> right? Oh, yes. Because like, mm -hmm. how does it feel when you ignore that side of you? It gets worse to, for me. It gets yeah. louder and louder, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and those kinds of like insights were things that like I only kind of just started to mm. like realize and even just this whole process of going through step four or five and now to six and my sponsor was saying okay so what wh what are these behaviors and i at first i was writing down like okay well it's self-seeking and i'm mm. like well here we go i'm self-seeking again all right well i guess i'm just a self-seeker and then all of a sudden i was like holy shit i'm i'm a self-seeker like i'm these these mm. behaviors are are me seeking myself like hey hey don't ignore me mm -hmm. and Listen, I'm not even going to give you the option of not ignoring me. I'm just going to fuck up your life until you pay attention. And I was like, okay, okay. Yeah. And, then what, and then he said, okay, so now you realize that there's a lot of you that's self-seeking. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, there's a lot of me that's kind of at war within myself. He said, oh, so do you think you might be seeking to become more of an integrated person? And so mm -hmm. when you say that those layers are still there... Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, right. Mm -hmm. The parts of me that I'm ignoring or that I refuse to accept, okay, they're, they're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. So probably time to try and like ask those parts what's up. Yeah. Get a little bit more cozy with them. Mm -hmm. And let them know that, hey, whatever whatever the parts of me are like that I've been... Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, I can work to a place where I can make space for yeah. all of all of me to like at mm -hmm. least feel that this is like a safe place to like 
I can be a safe place for my own self to mm-hmm. express myself. And I was just like, oh, wow, okay. Wow, this eh? is a really, yeah, a new, mm-hmm. a new path for me to be on. Or like at least, it's like a, that woman that I was telling you about, Tara Brock, mm-hmm. she calls those paths, um, like pathways back home. Mm-hmm. And that we each need to be able to find for ourselves what what creates a pathway back home mm. and so anyway that's that yeah that's yeah. that but that's that's interesting because i just listened to um, a, a book by ram das called walking each other home and and so like really because that's how he, he used to work with uh, people who were terminal so he would do hospice care and stuff like that mm-hmm. and and uh it's interesting because I think that's true. I, I don't have a doubt about it that that's all we're doing is walking mm-hmm. each other home, right? Like it makes the most sense to me. And it also makes the most sense that we all have these layers that we're trying to integrate together, right? Like in our own lives, because the more integrated we are, the happier we are. Like mm-hmm. there's obvious reality between being incongruent all the time and miserable and being congruent and not miserable right? Like there's a definite thing there where Mm -hmm. if our beliefs and our actions match up, chances are we're going to be more stable. We're going to feel happier, right? Because we're not going against our morals, values, beliefs, right? Whatever they are. Mm -hmm. For me and for people like me, sometimes those beliefs are the ones that are detrimental and they're beliefs that I didn't even have, but I was told I had, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? I was told to believe it. So I just, as a kid, that's what we do. We go, okay, that makes, I mean, I don't know any different, right? You're telling me this is true. Then I believe you because you, why would you lie to me? Yes. Right? Yeah. We're children. Why would you lie to children? Welcome to the new world order. We, we like to lie to children. <laughs> we like to prepare them for nothing at all that's going to happen to them. Yeah. And get them prepared for, for like a fantasy life, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of preparing them for real life because we don't want to tell them bad things, you know? And... I, I don't regret my parents, anything they did. They did what they knew best, right? But I am 100% of the mindset now that adults, parents need to talk to their kids about death and dying. Like, mm. this is something that you can avoid and you'll have maladjusted kids mm-hmm. by the time they're older and have experienced loss, right? Because that's one of my, was one of my um fears right was that death was going to come for us all and nobody ever talked to me about it so it wasn't until i was able to learn about it on my own that i was able to see oh this is a natural part of life Mm -hmm. why was everybody so scared of this like (laughs) i mean you know what i'm saying because as we grow up we realize this happens to all of us yeah but when we're kids we kind of i don't know what you thought or what darcy thought but i was kind of thinking well maybe i'm not going to (laughs) die right maybe there's a way around it and Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a Christian thing too. I don't know, uh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like to get around the um, dying part, and yeah, yeah. So anyway, I don't, I don't know um, where where I was going with that, but except for the fact that it gets pretty confusing um, as you get older and people die, and you're like, I thought we could get around that, you know? Yeah. I thought if we were good enough, we wouldn't die. Like right. If, you know that there's like somehow some uncertainty like around the possibility of dying yeah and that that is uh <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. right 
Well, I, I grew up thinking that um, this is actually what sort of changed my, my, my religious beliefs mm -hmm. or like my, it really changed my, the story of like what I believed my faith. I, I thought, mm -hmm. um, because I started going to church very young, and I started to go to church thinking that there needed to be a better way than the way I was living. That yeah. was probably when I was around seven years old. My parents didn't go to church, um, but I did. Mm -hmm. And um, that also started when, when I started to feel like I was better than others. Yeah. So that sort of like self-righteous contempt that has been, you know, sort of revealed as I've been going through um, writing out my resentments. I really relied heavily on that. But um, so I was definitely right when I was going to church. Yep. I had the right beliefs. I was going to the right church. And Jesus was definitely coming back, uh, you know, pretty soon. So I was about probably 16, pretty soon. 17. And I was pretty <laughs> sure I didn't need to make any plans for the future yep. or anything because Jesus was going to come back and I was definitely going to be going to heaven with him mm -hmm. and I don't know what was happening to the rest of everyone else yeah. but it wasn't looking good for a lot of people right <laughs> yeah. but it I was, was looking okay. bad for everyone around yeah, me. it was looking bad for everyone around me <laughs> so I had like a couple of revelations right around that time um first there was a guy well first I think what happened was that I felt I started then to take that very seriously mm -hmm. and I thought well I have this salvation and others don't mm -hmm. And I want to go to the pool today. And I was like, well, how can I do anything in good faith? Um, and how can I just like, how can I take a breath without telling other people about this predicament that they're going to go and burn in hell for eternity? Yeah. How can I call my friends? Or how can I go shopping for clothes? Or mm -hmm. None of it made sense. So that started to feel really uncomfortable yeah. for me, the fact that um, if this salvation was dependent on people accepting Jesus, mm -hmm. then I needed to devote every waking hour to telling people about this this fact and, and persuading them that they needed to accept. So you had lots of friends then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All my <laughs> friends were Christians at that time, and I took great Perfect. pride in that. I was yeah. like, well, it's very tidy. I don't have any non-Christian friends. Of Everyone's going to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and so I started to feel really uncomfortable at the fact that, that. Yeah. and then I started listening to this uh, one pastor, some of my friends were kind of into this guy mm -hmm. who was preaching, and um, he actually had this like story, this little analogy, he's like, unfortunately, those of you who think that Jesus is coming back, that is is actually a mortality issue. Mm -hmm. You have a problem with your own mortality, and here's why. So you're going to get on the bus, and you're going to go to work today, and mm -hmm. everyone's going to be on the bus. And then you imagine that somehow uh, you're going to be taken up to heaven. But what's actually going to happen is that you're going to go on the bus, and you're going to go to work. And let's just imagine that tomorrow you're going to die and you don't want to think about the fact that the bus is going to go on and everyone's going to be there and you're not going to be on it. No, what you're thinking is, if I'm going to die, 
everybody's going with me. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> no. And it really helped me in that moment. I was like, oh. Because then I was relieved of the guilt of having mm. to go and preach to everyone. Yeah. Because that was impossible in the way that I had imagined. Yeah. And also I was like, oh, what a weight off. Like, I mean, I actually just... I've joined the human race. I'm going to mm. die like everybody else. What an amazing relief that was. Oh, so, so relieving. Anyway, yeah. so that was just like, it really changed the way that I approached mm. um, Christianity. and. It would have to. Like, it really yeah. would. So how, how do you approach it now? Like, what's your, what's your spiritual life like now? So now I still find a lot of benefit in the teachings mm -hmm. i'm far more open to many teachings and mm. when some of my friends once in a while i reconnect with some friends who still have a more traditional way yeah. of understanding like like i used to and they're like so tell me about your church i'm like well like salvation sort of strictly through the the cross is not is not the primary mm -hmm. interest of my spiritual um, my spiritual walk. Mm -hmm. So I don't really make that my business. Yeah. Uh, if if that's central to other people's faith, mm -hmm. that's that's no problem for me. But it's not central to my faith. Yeah. Um, what I think is central to my faith now. Um, is is really like that sort of that sort of daily like reflection on okay how might i be the best that i can be for mm -hmm. today how how might i deal with the things that i need to deal mm -hmm. with inside of me so that i can be like the the best example of love in the world yeah. so that's kind of central to and i find all the teachings in the not all the teachings in the bible I find many of the teachings in the mm -hmm. bible and sometimes from other faiths yeah. to be very helpful with doing that but i really like that one verse in the bible where mm -hmm. it says that the path is narrow and few will find it mm -hmm. and that used to have a very different meaning and now i think oh yeah the path is narrow because there's only room for one. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's guy, your personal. This girl. Yeah. It's your personal <laughs> you know? walk, right? Yeah. yeah. And then I, then I find that that's very like um, helpful too. Because I think, well, then I can choose very carefully mm -hmm. how I might like to walk on this path. Because then I take full responsibility yeah. for my beliefs and for my understanding. And then I can decide what's working and what isn't. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't rely as heavily on, on you know. Um, uh, this certain certainty direct mm. direction I yeah. think okay well <laughs> yeah well I think and what I've experienced since um, since being in 12-step fellowships is there's a huge boat for everybody and everybody can fit on it like yeah. it doesn't matter like I mean I think what uh, what turned me one of the things that finally turned me away from Christianity altogether was the simple fact that most Christians still believe that if you don't believe in that God, you're going to hell. And that was absolute rubbish. To me. Yeah. It's just complete rubbish. Yes. Right? So, um, yeah. yeah. And I, don't get me wrong. I, if, if it, if it works for someone and they believe it, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, except for what you're doing to other people. That's not so awesome because yeah. 
we're closing the doors to people and that's not our job to do that. I don't think, right? Yeah. Like, it was never my job to say, you're not going to make it. <laughs> oh, and I, yes, totally. And I was like, to, like something that occurred to me not too long ago, I was, well, I don't know how long, not too long, but at some point where I was like, yeah, you know, Jesus walked on the earth, not just for Christians. Mm -hmm. Why do Christians think that they possess Jesus and his teachings? Mm -hmm. It's like, that's for everyone. Yeah, Anyone can like look at those teachings and, and make mm -hmm. something of them and take them to heart, whether they do or not. It's not for Christians mm -hmm. to say, like, well, we have Jesus walked up in a special spot. And if you'd like to, if you'd like to, you know, come to the Father through Jesus, we've got the, we've got the, the, the only you know, means to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, all these things started coming. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I might just part ways with that. Yeah. And realize that actually, um, all sorts of things are available to mm -hmm. um, focus the attention, the mind, the spirit to like grow love mm -hmm. inside of us. Lots of lots of ways are available to mm -hmm. do that, and that's probably more in line now with what I would understand as the intention of of any of the spiritual mm -hmm. leaders teachings would be that and i think well probably jesus would be on board with that yeah you know, you know i've heard i've heard teaching and, and speakers from different faiths and and most of the ones that are open-minded include conversations about christ include conversations yeah. about muhammad and yeah. um and include conversations about all of the quote-unquote prophets and holy people right because mix them all together and you've got a pretty good idea Mm -hmm. Keep them separate. You've got no idea. Like as far as I'm concerned, the more separate all the stuff is, the less like God it is, right? Because um, I come from a place where God is everything, like mm -hmm. everything, and I don't mean the religious God. I just mean everything. Like there's nothing that isn't, and and I mean indifference is also God. Um, destruction is also God. Mm -hmm. But our universe was created through chaos, like. Uh, why would it be different for us? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're just enlightened enough, or we think we are, that we should be able to decide what happens to us, and we're just still not able to. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're still just yeah. on this rock riding it out, right? Like, mm -hmm. we, we have no control. We have no more control over the weather than we did 100 years ago, right? That's right. I mean, we, we absolutely could make it worse. I mm -hmm. think by some of our technology and stuff, right? But um, yeah, I think we're still we're st and I well, I guess it's hard. It might be hard for some folks, depending on what religion they are, to imagine that they are just the same as every animal on this planet. That they are just as much of value, like as everything else. And we see how much um, value. But I think it what makes some people cringe is thinking that they evolved from animals. Um, which to me, I, I don't know why that would bother you, anyone. I, I can't yeah. imagine why that would bother someone, like to be factually evolved from something. I don't, I don't quite get it. <laughs> but I do understand why people, when they wrote the Bible, didn't know that because mm -hmm. there was no science to produce the, the um, results, right? And, yeah. and so now that we have this, but again, I, I don't think it's science or God. I think it's all the same. Because God mm -hmm. is science, like God is everything, right? Yeah. Like there's not a thing separate from it. I mean, mm -hmm. we're connected by the fact that we're made of star stardust, right? Like stardust, com cosmic shit, like, yeah. you know, not yeah. to mention our flesh and blood and um, the fact that we are humans, yeah. considered humans. But I mean, what a, what a fantastic 
world we have if we if we just stop separating us from each other and start realizing mm-hmm. like and this is where i mean it probably sounds really hoity-toity actually and kind of maybe foo like but the reality is like i i firmly believe we're all connected like we're all connected by the energy that is between us right and we mm-hmm. know that just because we can't see it doesn't mean there's not energy there right like mm-hmm. there's because you probably felt this i i guess i'm getting off track really off track but I, I can feel it when I'm around certain people, right? Like where you feel like, oh, they know we're connected. Like you mm-hmm. can almost sense it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that person walks around connected. Like mm-hmm. you feel that, um, you know, when you have someone come in a room and they're not connected and you're just like, whoa, what the hell is that all about? Especially if you're in a room where um, the openness is there mm-hmm. and then you can really feel that closeness when it comes in a room, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, and again, I don't know why I'm on that subject, but um, probably because spiritual things confuse the shit out of me. And I have no idea what they are. Mm-hmm. I just believe that they're there. That's all. Yeah. Right. Like what it looks like. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's probably and then kind of going back to when we're kids and mm-hmm. there's this sort of idea that that kids actually because they don't have the way to intellectualize mm. things that they feel it's this yeah. felt sense of experience mm-hmm. and then that we might then need to separate ourselves from that felt experience mm-hmm. because we, we just yeah for I can't really speak too much to that that's as far as I can go with mm-hmm. that but we might be separating ourselves from that that felt experience mm-hmm. through you know through um Mm, a lot of a, a feeling of a loss of belonging in childhood say yeah, but yeah, yeah. You, we still do i think feel those things and and then what is coming home back to the body <coughs> back to the sensations back to the feelings i think it's maybe difficult to talk about those things mm-hmm. it's like oh the the more we'd like to talk about god the fewer words are available I, in my experience this seems almost in the realm of like artwork or what we feel mm-hmm. or how how yeah certain places like mm-hmm. give us certain sensations we're into a place that i think is mm-hmm. is necessarily difficult to describe i think that. you're right yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know i think you're right and I, I well actually i know i believe you're right i know you're right because there's lots of different gods right so that mm-hmm. means there's lots of us who are thinking about it trying to figure it out and uh, uh, incapable of putting a real word on it right like god's a good word because it's just generic now right like like not generic in terms of it means nothing but generic in terms of it's passed around and god is reasonably i guess the title of the universal creator right for lots of people um but i i just don't know if it's like that you know because i can't like you said i start putting words to it I, i basically confuse myself right if i start thinking well what is god and then I stop almost right away because I'm like, fuck that. It's too much. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. I can't even imagine the first person who sat down to write the first book, like in the Old Testament, right? And, and what were they doing? Like, okay, this is what I think God is. And then they're writing it and they're like, really? Is he that harsh? Yeah, I guess he is. I'm an asshole. So God must be an asshole too. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Like the, So the church that I go to, the pastor says, okay, and so now here we see the character of God come mm-hmm. on the scene. And I was like, oh, that's so helpful to be mm-hmm. able to like, now how am I observing 
the way that people are writing about what they can understand about yeah. God at the time that they're writing and yeah. given their experience and their understanding mm -hmm. and probably their longing and probably like all of these things that come in mm -hmm. and they're probably their longing for belonging yeah. which is like yeah and that's just like yeah david like how much we actually need each other mm -hmm. and then all how we need to be able to first connect with ourselves mm -hmm. to then be able to be present for others yeah. that's something that i was like oh okay so it's necessary for me then to sort of inhabit mm -hmm. my own body and sensations and be aware of myself and then i can connect with mm -hmm. others and so yeah that and because i i really that's the deepest desire in me is yeah. to is to connect and yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't know that humans have a deeper desire mm -hmm. than to connect and belong, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and and we've done some. Not just you and me, and obviously Darcy's done many absurd things to try to belong, mm -hmm. right? I mean, who hasn't as a human, right? Like, there. It's just. It's amazing how far we'll go to be a part of something, right? Like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think actually there was like a certain connection that I had with people that I would. Um, that I would use drugs with mm. and I it was a, an experience that I had that that I felt that somehow we were having a shared experience mm -hmm. and it wasn't I didn't really realize like that that you know that by using that to have a shared experience mm -hmm. that then that was depleting other areas of my life mm -hmm. that there's a there's a high cost to that yeah. and then what whatever the connection experience was i mean that's kind of hard to say as well but mm -hmm. it's sort of maybe m matched the level of like uh chaos or excite i use excitement as like mm -hmm. you know excitement that I wasn't really recognizing yeah. was it kind of like matched that level of like, yeah, chaos in my mind or in my body. And then I felt like somehow that noise canceling mm -hmm. that was provided by whatever I was using then maybe gave me the opportunity to connect with others. Mm -hmm. Very, yeah, yeah. I, it wasn't until just now that I sort of kind of thought about mm -hmm. um, that. Um, and and I think like Searching just to, yeah that. I think that's interesting and I I think some some chemicals bond us right so yeah. I think I think there's like a it can get confusing because yeah. it's confusing for me that's for sure but I know there's some chemicals that actually um, facilitate our bonding together mm -hmm. right what yeah. they are who can use them I don't know but the, I I know there are some out there there's differences between for example say crystal meth and lsd there's differences right mm -hmm. lsd is not crystal meth crystal meth is something dif different mm -hmm. some people have claimed lsd connects people right it, it allows for barriers to be down or whatever mm -hmm. um whether these things are true i don't know right like yeah. whether it's just all i know is there are certain chemicals that seem to bring about that bonding mm -hmm. much easier than others right like yeah and, and so the question i guess would be is that a false bonding right uh, in my mind, it's not, but my mind is open, right? So yeah. I, I think it's a it's a real pure bonding on a different level, right? It, yeah, that's interesting. I actually had a girlfriend. We were sitting together and we were hanging out and she said, 
you know what, you and me, we really need to get high and bond. And I was like, yeah. I've never heard anyone just sort of say it just out like that. Yeah. You know, here's an invitation. I'd like to get to know you better. Mm. Let's get high together sometime. <laughs> and I was like, it's like, huh, this like, mm-hmm. so it was like, you know, because it's not something I would ever really like say that plainly to anyone. But yeah. she just was like, that's what we need to and, do. And maybe it's she said that right? because she knew what her limitations are. Right. Because if if yeah. so, if someone has and this is why I get into this and people in the rooms obviously think I'm nuts and they also think I'm a hippie. But the reality is it's because I believe that these things are true. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that everybody needs to do them. I just simply recognize that some of these things are true. Mm-hmm. There is a bonding that happens with certain chemicals with people. Right. Mm-hmm. How could it not be true if you have if you take two people, one of them has an anxiety disorder, the other one has depression. You try to put them together to bond, okay? How's the bonding going to go? It can go either way. I mean, we know that some people can do it. But what if the chemical helps them get through that? Sure, yeah. The awkwardness, right? And allows them to connect in a way that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to. Not because they're not capable, but because they're stuck in some sort of different place. Yeah. Right? That and, And so... As time goes on, I just my mind opens more and more towards what other people might need to do. Yeah. And what, and what they want to do is fine. Like, it's okay. Like, if you want to bond. Look, I don't recommend anyone bonds over fentanyl because chances are you're bonding and we're going to have like a two-person funeral, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're going to bond over um, other things, cannabis, whatever it is, like, be responsible. That's all, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's all I can say about it. And it's kind of like when I talk to schools and, and I always get the, I get the impression at first that they really want me to say, just say no to drugs, but I won't because mm-hmm. it's stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's just yeah. stupid. Yeah. Not everybody's going to have a problem with drugs. Okay. Right. Not everybody's going to have a problem right. with alcohol. What I tell people is to be responsible. Like if you literally are having trouble with it, talk to somebody. Right. Yeah. You don't have to be alone. But if you're not having trouble with it, then enjoy it. Who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You, you don't have to pretend you're going to be turning into me. Right. Like, I don't want everyone to think that if you drink and, and you're going to eventually become a fall down alcoholic who has to quit drinking. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it is for everybody. Matter of fact, it's a small percentage of us that are like that. Right. Yeah. The trouble is, is that the small percentage of us that are like that, we create a lot of damage. <laughs> So people can see us, right? And they say, oh, alcohol, alcoholics are bad. If you drink, you're going to become an alcoholic. And that prop might be scary for you because you're, you come from a place where your parent was an alcoholic, right? Yeah. So, of course, we're going to be afraid of those things. Yeah, yeah. You know, and try sure. to control people into not doing it. But mm-hmm. we've, we can see that that's not working. Yeah, well, that's right. I'm glad you said that. That's right. It's that... We can see that that's not working. Right? Like, I'm just looking at it from, like, what we can see, that looks like a bad idea to tell people not to do it. Right? Just when you said that, it's really interesting because that that is so helpful. I I actually just, like, I felt my, like, shoulders and my hands, like, just soften and relax. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah. It's not, yeah. It doesn't work to try and... Uh, control others into yeah uh yeah well and i can only speak for myself right if i try to control other people that means i'm not paying attention to what i'm doing 
right? Like mm-hmm. I can, because it's an easy thing for me to do and I can even feel it when it happens. If I'm watching even something on TV, I'll be like, oh yeah, fuck that guy. And then I'll yes. be like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yes. I don't even know who that is. I don't know anything about it. And, but the brain just wants focus on something else, right? Mm-hmm. Someone else. Let me look at what you're doing so that I don't have to pay attention to what I'm feeling or what's going yeah. on in my head. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I I I guess I came through that. I don't, I don't want to tell people what to do. I don't think it's helpful for them or me, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because really, what do I know about what someone else needs to do unless Mm -hmm. they tell me, like, I (laughs) don't know. Right. It's, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm talking in circles now. No, no, that's really, that's really helpful. Like, yeah, that just, that gave me like also just like a bit of like Mm -hmm. peace and a bit of calm because, um, yeah, being that whole idea of like being out of out of control mm-hmm. is very central to probably a, a very a great number of the mm-hmm. the kind of coping things that, um, and that also that sort of like that sort of self righteous mm-hmm. contempt or being just a little bit better than others, right? right? Just to try and say. If I'm just a little bit better, then maybe I can mm. convince other people to think a little bit more like me, and then mm. then I can get the control that I need. It's very yeah, yeah, well said. Mm-hmm. That's a that's probably the most succinct description of the ego that I've heard in a long time. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's what the ego is always trying to do. Mm-hmm. Right? It's always trying to be okay. It's mm-hmm. not doesn't like being upset. Doesn't like being less than. Mm-hmm. But it loves being more than. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like it loves that that little tiny bit of separation, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you sin differently than I do. Fuck you, <laughs> right? Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. Yes. If only you sinned like I do, you'd be fine, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. What yes. time are we at, dude? Hour and a half. Oh, hour and a half. Well, I guess we should probably wrap it up at some point. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about or, or pass on to anyone out there? Obviously, what you just said about the ego is like incredible. Oh, well, good. Thank yeah. you. Well, I'm glad that that, that yeah, because we're, you know, we're just talking. So mm-hmm. the fact that that just sort of came out is, is really, that's, I don't know, I think that's really um, just nice that that's a good conversation, that those mm-hmm. things emerge, you know. So, um, well... I guess just to say that, like, for me, my experience of of recovery was always this kind of comes up was always the sense that I could do it badly, mm. and that the idea of just to keep coming back and sometimes I have been um, just sort of hard on myself. Mm. But that that idea to just keep coming back and whatever badly means for someone like me, and maybe there are others who can relate, whatever badly is for mm-hmm. someone who already has such extremely high expectations for themselves, yeah. anyone who's already prone to sort of beating themselves up like, like I am, doing it badly ends up being like pretty okay Mm. and you know ends up is this or has been for me the difference between um 
like coming back or giving up and coming mm-hmm. back is always better in my experience and, yeah. and I never I never I thought to myself oh it's been a long time since I've gone to a meeting oh it's been a long time since I've um, journaled oh it's been a long and then I would just say to myself it's okay because mm-hmm. in the next breath in the next breath and I guess the one last thing oh yeah really quick mm-hmm. someone mentioned in some thing that I've been listening to although I think it's a common teaching whatever I sow in this moment Mm -hmm. will then be the way that I can enter the next Mm -hmm. so if I tell myself yeah it's okay Mm -hmm. I'm just one breath away Mm -hmm. then it's been so helpful I think oh what a relief Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedoms Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.